WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on Westbridge Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Car sent you. Hi, this is Tim Del Toro. And I'm Lou Angel Wolf, and we are the Grease Gurus. Our show is broadcast every Saturday morning live at WTAN 10 Talk Radio 1340. That's 10 o'clock every Saturday morning for an automotive forum that is flavored with humor and insight. We encourage you to call in and be part of the Grease Gurus show. We'd love to have you, and we will certainly help you find your inner grease. This show is sponsored by Tim's Performance Service Center and beautiful Tarpon Springs at 906 Verona Place. And you can reach us personally at 727-543-1601. Aha. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Pebble Beach came about because of the particular interest of Sterling Edwards, who was a leader in our uh, little car fraternity in Northern California. Sterling knew Sam Morris quite well and was looking always for another place to uh, have races other than on the Air Force that uh, we'd been on. And he approached Sam Morris, entrepreneur, developer of the Pebble Beach Properties Projects, and Sam thought it was uh, something he'd be interested in. So Pebble Beach ran from 1950 to 1956. And when you think about the fact the first race was 1950, only a year after the first sports car race, it really was the foundation of sports car racing on the West Coast. The attraction was first to race the cars anywhere they could, um, and obviously the attraction for people to watch um, the, these up-and-coming um, drivers as they were at the time. You didn't have a big trailers and mechanics standing all over the place. It was just kind of bring your own car and put it in a race and run it. The main pit area was the corral for the stables, which were on the, the north end of the, of the course. I think it was 2.1 miles is what it was. And there were a lot, of, a lot of turns and a lot of trees. And it was basically an acceleration braking course. There, wasn't no, there were no big sweeping turns that they see in some of the courses now. Pebble Beach course was surrounded by huge, what they call soft pine trees. And I can assure you that the only soft part is the first quarter of an inch of the tree. After that, it gets really hard. It was probably the most challenging course in America at the time. You look back, you think, well, that was a time I could have died, and this was a time I could have died, and you wonder how you ever get to be 30 years old. There were some really exciting uh, drivers back then, and uh, it was a very early period for racing. One of my heroes was Phil Hill. He could handle just about any kind of car, and he would do well if he, and generally win. Uh, every time he came around, you get the crowd very excited. Pebble Beach was wonderful. It was fantastic. It was stunning. It was a, a world apart from the rest of the world. It was something that doesn't exist really totally today. We dressed as best we could. We behaved as well as we could. <laughs> yeah, it was wonderful. 
Hi, everybody. This is Bob Barsha with Fox Sports. Normally, I'm at the racetrack with the Barrett-Jackson auctions for television. But if I'm not, I'm going to be listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I hope you will, too. Set the way back machine. Yes, sir, Mr. Peabody. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. Don't forget, if you missed any of our past shows, check out our archive page, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, where you can listen to all 360-plus shows. Good evening, Tommy. How are you doing? I have a Bobby. There we go. Very good, Robert. Thank you. How are you doing? Well, I want to introduce Tommy. Tommy's the new uh, production engineer here, or co-production engineer, I should say. And uh, Bobby is now officially uh, off at University of Central Florida. So uh, he will maybe come in and visit us from time to time. So now my, my new partner in crime here is uh, Tommy. How are you doing, Tommy? I'm doing very well. How are you doing, Robert? <laughs> Pretty good. I understand you. Thank you. You're a car guy, kind of like, huh? You like cars? Uh, my dad was in a car business for many, many years. Yes. Okay. Well, then we can banter back and forth. And this theme, this topic, this uh, content here is going to be no stranger to you then. Uh, I hope not. Okay. Good, good, good. <laughs> hope I can keep up with your banter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, anyway, um, let's see. So now let me see. I have to do this on my own now. So uh, please follow us on Facebook. And I think it's Nostalgic Reading Cars and Gulfstream Motorsports. I believe Twitter is at NRC on air which I was real active with last week. And we have Instagram, which I believe is Gulfstream Motorsports, something to that effect, okay? As the show progresses, I will learn this stuff, and I promise you that I will get better and better and better and better at it. Now, last week, we did a live show from one of my favorite events, and that is Monterey Car Week. Now, I got to tell you guys, of all the shows, if there's no show on the planet that you can attend, no show that you can attend except one, you need to make it Monterey Car Week. And the reason I say that is because it has a little of everything. Now, the only thing it probably doesn't have is drag racing and motorcycle racing and stuff like that. But there are drag cars and motorcycles all over the place. They're just not uh, racing. But there are a lot of road race cars. There are a lot of exotic cars. There are a lot of vintage cars. And the personalities, um, a.k.a. cast the characters that show up there, are probably the most prominent and influential people in the motorsports or automotive world. So uh, if you go check out our Twitter page, which is at NRC on air, you will see that I was pretty active and I bumped into a lot of people. And it's kind of cool because I'm kind of getting to be a regular out there now, which I kind of like. And, uh, you know, where people kind of know you on a first name basis and actually acknowledge the fact that we have a real live radio show. And they're more than welcome and more than excitable to be guests on our show. As a matter of fact, this evening we have a, a friend of ours coming back on the show. I will say that he's an alumni guest. And uh, from a very, very prominent American racing lineage uh, in this country, okay, his father was probably one of the foremost gentleman racers in the country and all one of the early, uh, also one of the early pioneers at the Pebble Beach uh, road races. And if you heard the clip, the clip was uh, had a number of prominent people, many of which raced back in the day in the early 50s. And, you know, it's the, the argument is this. Where did vintage or where did sports car racing really start? Well, we know it, it existed in Europe, but it really didn't become prolific in the United States until, I'm going to say, the late 40s, right after the war, because a lot of American GIs, that is uh, soldiers, basically, GIs were over there. And uh, what they did is they uh, didn't have big, big, bulky American cars to beat around, and they drove sports cars. And so they became acclimated and accustomed to driving little sports cars, and particularly on those little windy roads that they got over there that go up and down the mountains, sides in uh, all over Europe, the Alps and, and places like that. So at any rate, they brought their cars over here. So, and I believe, I believe, and I think it's Colonel, and I know Alan's going to call in in a minute and correct me because uh, our, my occasional sidekick here on Nostalgic Radio Cars is Alan. And Alan's uh, extremely well-read. And Alan will correct me, particularly if he's listening, unless he's underneath the car wrenching right now, which that happens from time to time. But nonetheless, I believe it was General LeMay, 
and I believe he was with the Air Force, and he was probably military dignitary, if you will, that uh, kind of uh, instigated racing, sports car racing in the United States, and where did it take place? Well, no better place to take place on the uh, military air bases on the tarmac, and that's kind of how it started. Now, the West Coast, probably... Pebble Beach was probably one of the first places, a little further south, Torrey Pines, and then there was a north, there was a track north of there, and I can't remember the name of it, but it's way before Sears Point. And then, of course, on the east coast, we have Sebring, and up north, they had Watkins Glen. And in the Midwest, mm, I'm going to say maybe Road Atlanta, but that might have been years later, but uh, I'm sure if there's somebody listening, they'll correct me. But when we get Derek Hill on, that's our guest, our special guest for the evening. Oops, I let the cat out of the bag. He will definitely clue us in because, obviously, his dad's legendary, and he's writing a book, uh, tribute to his, uh, his late father, who was the only American ever to win a Formula One World Sports Car Championship. Now, Mario Andretti did it as well, but actually Mario Andretti's Italian-born, even though he raced on an American flag. There's a lot of racing car guys that raced that may have been born, let's say, in Sweden, or they might have been born in Germany, they might have been born in France or Italy or someplace like that, but they may have raced under the flag in the country in which they lived in. So, um, But I'm looking forward to having Derek on here in a little bit, and he'll close into that. Now, let's uh, talk a little bit about what's going on in Florida, and therefore, if you want to find out about what's going on, we have a thing called the Florida Car Shows Minute, okay, flacarshows.com. And if you want to find out where any and all the car shows are that are taking place here in our beautiful sunshine state, hot and humid, 94 degrees today, definitely visit floridacarshows.com. And, uh, Tommy, that sounds like uh, a cue for a station break there, right? Okay, you're tuning in to Nostalgic Radio Cars, and we're going to play a little music. And since we're on this little 60s kick, how about a little uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary? And I dig rock and roll music. Don't touch the dial. We'll be right back. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. 
Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Daryl Starbird, the Bowl Top Game. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. All right, we're back. Uh, Tommy's he's wrestling around in the, in, the, in the production studio. You're doing a great job. First time out of the box. I'm proud of you. I know. I, actually, guys, I got to tell you, I actually have one of the more complicated shows here at the studio, don't I, Tommy? And uh, he's shaking his head. And uh, Bobby pretty much had that bastard, and uh, he gave uh, poor Tommy here a crash course. And uh, I got to tell you, hats off to Tommy. Tommy, you're doing a good job. So anyway, all right, so we just came back from Monterey Car Week, and uh, hey, how did you guys dig that commercial? Bobby cut a really cool commercial for FloridaCarShows.com, so Tara, I hope you're listening, and uh, definitely check out FloridaCarShows.com. You can find out where all this stuff's going on, because now the fall's coming. The first, uh, basically, car show swap meet that we're going to uh, hit is the uh, Sumter County swap meet, but there's all kinds of stuff going on, so again, check out FloridaCarShows.com. Now, back to Monterey. You know what? I just I can't tell you enough about it, but, you know, there's so much stuff going on. For example, uh, let's say Tuesday. Tuesday starts out. The kickoff show is Concourse on the Ave, which basically is an open event. Open meaning anybody can show up there. People that show really, really cool cars, but then everybody else that shows up is public, and it's free to everybody. It's open. That's what I mean by open. And you can see some absolutely amazing and incredible cars and a total eclectic collection of cars now one of the things that they had this year was a lot of cars out of the late 50s and 60s which two cars caught my attention one was a lightweight 63 and a half galaxy a beautiful 64 t-bolt thunderbolt for you four guys out there and uh a 59 mercury station wagon that was in coral it was a woody gorgeous looking car and of course you know the standard ferraris porsches maseratis and all the other really 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 cool cars so there was tons and tons and tons and tons of really cool cars there, plus the vintage race cars that were showed up there, the Trans Am cars that were there, the sports car race cars that were there, Cobra was there, for example, Lancias, Fiats, Volkswagens, Porsches, Audis, DKWs. There was a TR250 there, but actually the English version, which is fuel injected, it's called a TR5, very cool car, a Pegaso, a very rare car, Italian-made, Esos were there. Let's see, what else? I mean, just Lamborghinis, obviously, were there, but all vintage cars. So it lines up Ocean Avenue. It's an absolutely stunning, stunning, stunning event. And then Wednesday, Wednesday we went to uh, Carmel. That's called the uh, Carmel Mission Classic. Now, that actually takes place at the Carmel Mission. And it's kind of quaint. It's intimate. There's probably maybe 60, 70 cars of the highest quality. And, again, the same caliber cars that I mentioned before. And... Um, Although there was a really cool 66 Pontiac 2 plus 2 there that was really neat. Factory uh, four-speed car, 421. That was a nice piece. There was a uh, BMW Isetta there. Aston Martins, Porsche Turbos. There was a Sunbeam Tiger there. Uh, two Duesenbergs, V16 Cadillacs. And an unusual 1965 Opel Cadet. Oh, yeah. And there was also a very unusual car. And... Uh, it was called a Woodhill Wildfire, and it was kind of like one of those very early 50s hand-built fiberglass cars. It was kind of like a, on the order of a kit car, and uh, what a lot of those cars had back in the day was uh, maybe an American driveline in them. Looked very sporty, very European, but if you didn't want to spend the money on a Jag or a Porsche or a Ferrari or a Maserati, you look for an alternative, and that's where this car fit in. So, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I think it's in the book forgotten fiberglass you might want to check that out neat piece but it was up there as one of the feature cars and the wonder bread indie car so if you get a chance visit carmel mission classic now the neat thing about that event is at one o'clock the bishop actually comes out 
and blesses the cars. So that was pretty cool. So the bishop was out there, and uh, he said a prayer. And of course, most of us that were there obviously were Catholics, and uh, but you know all denominations pretty much because cars is kind of an all denominational thing. And uh, so then he walked around and took his little thingy and his water and dipped it in there and just kind of sprinkled it over the cars and said a little, uh, you know, blessing. And uh, everybody was excited about that. Oh, yeah, one car in particular was the 69 Mustang Trans Am race car that was uh, raced by Peter Revson back in uh, 1969 and 1970 that he campaigned. So his car was there. And I remember that car a number of years ago, probably 20 years ago when I first first time I saw it, uh, Boar said the Trans Am racer was taking that thing around the track. Now, we went to Laguna Seca. And uh, just an amazing track. I love that, the corkscrew. When uh, If you go to uh, Twitter, you'll see some pictures up there, but I will put some stuff up on Facebook, and I will put some stuff up on our website. And I got some great shots this way, this year as well. And, again, the collection of cars that were there is, is just indescribable. You name it, it was there. And uh, primarily all vintage, but uh, the major marks like Porsche, Mercedes, Audi, Ferrari, Aston Martin, Alfa Romeo, they all had late model displays, but one of the outstanding features that they had there was the display of cars, and I believe it was, since this was the 60th running of Laguna Seca, they had 60 years of race cars, beginning with Pete Lovely's Ferrari Testarossa that won in 1957, which was the very first year that Laguna Seca took place, where it's at right now, out in, uh, off 68 between Monterey and Salinas. And uh, it's an incredible track, great topos, lots of curves. It's a very, very technical track. It's only two and a half miles long, but it's really cool. And, of course, a couple of weeks ago we had Brad uh, Littlefield on, and uh, Brad was there, and we were hanging out for a few minutes. And then uh, so then I went out and put my photo vest on and snuck around took some pictures. Now, I guess we're going to get ready for our guest. This is going to be coming on our show here in a few minutes. And uh, But i got to tell you, Monterey, outstanding event. The Quail, outstanding the Jetport Party, outstanding. Concorso Italiano, outstanding. And then the Piece de Resistance, of course, was the Pebble Beach Concourse on Sunday. Two things that we did on Monday, though. We actually went to the Blackhawk Museum, which I highly recommend you go see. Beautiful cars there. Uh, Donald Osborne, noted um, appraiser, was there. And we went to Arlen Ness's Motorcycle Shop, which is uh, just around the corner there from uh, Danville, California, on the Oakland side, and uh, near Pleasanton, and uh, that was in uh, Dublin. So... Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Rating Cars. We'll be right back, and uh, we'll have a guest on in a few minutes, and we'll talk more about Pebble Beach.
words, Pebble Beach are just magical in that this is where American sports car racing really began. The crowd was pretty huge all the way around the track, uh, along the snow fencing that would keep the cars out of the crowd. We saw the drivers in those days at Pebble Beach as centaurs racing through the Pinewood to do combat. It was kind of the glory days. It was, it was the days when if you wanted to race, get a car on the grid, have some fun. Our entry fee was $15, and we could drive the car with it like this. Those races were more, uh, they were more of a sporting event. They were semi-pro, some of them, but mostly amateur in those early days. The number of international class racers that came out of that period, Ken Miles, Philip Hill, Dan Gurney, Carroll Shelby, Johnny Von Neumann, Richard Ginther, Jim Hall, I would probably say close to 20 real international class racers. So that was a very special period. 20 or 30 years ago, car, it was pretty dangerous. In fact, I mean, one of the main reasons I raced was because it was dangerous. You know, when you're 17, 18 years old, you want to do something crazy. By now, the cars were so fast on the Pebble Beach course, through the rises, past the trees and hay bales, the spectator fencing just, you know, a few feet away off the course. It was really a matter of time until somebody got hurt. Tell you how wonderful it was to walk around the pits and see all the innovation and ideas that were going on. Nothing like that today. Absolutely different. Somebody restored a car that I already raced once or twice, and then when they got through restoring it, it was it was more beautiful and better than when I raced it. These are the ghosts, really, of Pebble Beach. Nothing is really there to show you that that these races happened. And I think that this was a much bigger deal than people can even fathom today. It was a fun time and a very early time and very early period for racing. and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. It's time to introduce our special guest for the evening, and I'm delighted to welcome this gentleman back. He's been on our show before. Uh, we are kind of acquainted. We're not best buddies yet, but we're working on it. This gentleman's got uh, some amazing driving skills. He is what you would call, let's just say, a on-screen precision driving talent, which is kind of cool. Okay, I like that. Uh, he is also a professional race car driver. He comes from the family of probably the most renowned race car driver in the country. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, the MC for Pebble Beach, Derek Hill. Derek, are you there? I am here. So what do you Thanks think of the... Me. Oh, I'm glad you can make it. I'm glad you can make it. I know you just got in this afternoon. I just got in this afternoon. Everybody's just kind of scrambling to kind of get sorted out for the day. So uh, Great. Yeah. We, we're all suffering from a little bit of Teflon brain. You know, it's been an intense week. It I'm really glad to be here. Yes. So how do you start your week off at Monterey? I started off by getting up there on Monday, and, uh, you know, with uh, the Master Ceremonies duties, I, I'm involved in the script meetings that get going earlier in the week. Um, there's always the last-minute um, things to iron out, uh, as much preparation that, that the whole team does throughout the year. It, it's just good to get there early, and I like to get out to the track because I'm usually driving something for the uh, – Rolex uh, Motorsports Reunion out there at uh, Mazda Raceway. So, yeah, and plus it just kind of gets, gets your head in the game by getting up there early. This is true. This is true. Now, are you involved in any of Do you do any of the, um, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of, commentating or anything like that for the symposiums at all? Do you do any of the introduction there? Or moder moderate, moderate, moderating, that's what they call it, right? Are, are you talking about in um, in Naples, Florida? It's the it's the Collier Symposium. No, 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 up there at uh, at um, at Spanish oh, Bay. Oh, yeah. The forums, yeah, the forums. The, uh, yeah, the classic car forums. I don't except this year we did a we did one we we did one on on a book that has just come out that we've been working on for the last ten years about my father and it highlights all the photographs that he's been taking. So I actually went to Pebble Beach. Uh, early on in the year with the idea of, of wanting to present the book at, at the forum. And so I got up there with, with a couple of the other guys who worked on the project, and we gave a nice talk about it. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, actually, that's where you and I met. It was probably about two, three years ago when they did the uh, feature, and I played a little clip from the movie Racing Through the Forest. 
which is the... That's right, yeah. And uh, so that was out there, because on the back lawn, I think they had some of the early cars out there. So um, tell us a little bit about uh, what you're up to, and because and, and, I know you're racing, and I know you do some, you do some uh, test driving for some manufacturers, and you do some filming for them. I mean, you're one of those, I, I guess you, you call it on-screen talent, driving talent, I guess. You know, we call it, uh, I would call it stunt driving, but it's not really stunt driving because you're actually driving the cars for commercials, right? Well, I guess I gave you a more technical term there. Um, okay. Precision driver, that's the way the Screen Actors Guild uh, designates it because stunt drivers are the crazy guys who oh, okay. will crash cars and, 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 you know, have explosions go off at the same time. And, and sort of live and breathe for that stuff. But the precision drivers were just there to, to be, you know, qualified uh, handlers of, of the, the automobiles when you're driving fast and you're driving really close to the cameras. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's more, I, I don't like all those jumping through flames and flipping <laughs> over on my lid. <laughs> you get enough of that on the racetrack, right? Yeah, well, you know, you, you might every so often. That's enough for me. Okay, so what did you drive at Monterey at the uh, Rolex reunion this year? Well, I drove uh, one of Peter Mullen. Peter Mullen has uh, a great collection of French cars. Uh, has a museum out here in Oxnard, California, and and he brought up a Tipo Fifty One Bugatti, uh, a nineteen thirty one Bugatti, which uh, was a great pre war Grand Prix car. Um, unfortunately, I only got one lap before the Magneto failed, and they got that fixed, and we had no compression in one of the cylinders and that was it for the weekend unfortunately but peter uh put me in his car that he was driving which was a type 57 bugatti which wasn't going to be competitive in the race but uh it was the best view to watch the race from uh, as the cars lapped me uh, <laughs> more than once <laughs> yeah. did you have a uh, camera set up an in-car camera front and back so you could uh, record all that I did not, unfortunately. It, it all was last minute, and that group, because we're the earliest cars, were generally the first or second group out in the morning, and so uh, we just didn't have time this year. I got some pictures. I was there when that race was taking place on Saturday, so I got to see some of you guys going out there, and it was just amazing. What amazed me, Derek, is they're out there in these 20s, 30s Grand Prix cars, okay, with really your race with let's just say no safety equipment other than a, a helmet. I mean, they were just basically strapped in and their whole body, their whole torso is sticking up over the car. So if there were to be a mishap, as in the case in the old days, the results would not be too, um, they wouldn't be too happy. Let's put it that way. But no, so now, no, no but yeah. So, so my question to you is, at least that's what it appeared like from where I was sitting, my perspective from my vantage point. So tell me, what what do you do? How do you prepare these cars to kind of make them a little bit safer for you know modern day um, racing racing venues, so to speak? So what do they do? Well, I, there's not much they can do to make them safer um, mm -hmm. because you know that we do have seatbelts. But my big you know question is, do the seatbelts make it safer? <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, I I'm always thinking of how do I eject from this thing if I'm going to have a big impact. And uh, that's kind of my uh, backup plan. Maybe like a fighter pilot thinks of uh, how he's going to pull the eject, um, you know, hit the eject button. Uh -huh. Because really back in the day, you didn't want to be in the car when it was having an accident. Not, at least that's how my dad always phrased it. And uh, they weren't meant to, to crumple well. And, uh, you know, just whatever you're going to be flung into in the driver's cockpit, probably will do more damage than you skidding down the road. So, yeah, you know, it's always in the back of your mind. But then again, it, it all comes down to modern-day racetracks being safer. So I'd say the environment we're racing in is where the safety comes in. And also, we're not out there racing for a big prize or prize money or, you know, grand prestige uh, like they would have been back in the day. So everyone's toning it down a little bit and just, uh, you know, driving with a healthy respect for the car and for the competitors around them. So, you know, it'd be, you'd have to do a lot to, to get yourself in trouble, it seems, on these historic car weekends. Well, you're absolutely right, because coming off the corkscrew, you know, they got the big, uh, the big marble bed over there, the big gravel bed, and uh, I think when the uh, GT cars were running there, the IMSA cars, later in the afternoon, yeah. uh, the guy, I think it was on the second lap, there was a BMW uh, CSI, 
or CSL that was coming around there, and he got a little out of shape, and he spun around, and he kind of parked it in the gravel there for a little bit, but he was able to get out. So normally you're in there, you're stuck. But, yeah, that's a good. So you got runoff, and you got uh, plenty of areas to kind of get away. But it's funny that you mentioned that because we had Brian Redmond on and Vic Alford and Sterling Moss, and every one of them concurred with what you said, which is what your dad said, that we don't want to be trapped in the car when it impacts. We want to be able to fly out. We feel we'll, we feel we'll take our chances. And, uh, right. So, you know. Yeah. Uh, we had, uh, let's see, Myers um, of the Miller Motors, Myers uh, Racing, the IndyCar, and, uh, on our okay. show, Along the Sun. And, uh, and he's, he's up in his age now, but he recalls everything. And there was a time when he told me that, and I saw, actually, there's a video of it, when his dad was going down the track, and he was vying for first place, and he slid in the second, lost control of the car, rolled the car, flew him out of there. The car righted itself, then rolled down and bumped into the, the, the retaining wall. So after the race, he walks over to his car, reaches in the cockpit, and takes his shoes out. Sure. And, I, wow. and that's the story he told me, so that just, uh, that's mind-blowing. So, so how's, your, yeah. how's your racing career, Perry? Because you're not really racing professionally. Like you used to, you're kind of doing more vintage and some of the uh, peripheral stuff, more in the kind of like in the PR world, right? Plus, you've been writing this book. That's right. Yeah, I, I sort of stopped in earnest with the professional racing um, in, in my early 30s, and, and I'm 42 now. So, in the last 10 years, I sort of flipped by accident into vintage racing, which actually has been very gratifying. Uh, it, it it hasn't been a career, but it's been a lot of fun. And I guess I've developed a reputation for taking care of the equipment. And, and I don't want to bang up anybody's car um, or have an accident for that matter just because of the safety aspects of these older cars. That You know, as long as you can race competitively and stay out of trouble, they keep asking you back. You know, more often than not, these uh, car owners, they sort of like to live vicariously through uh, what other drivers can do with their cars. And uh, so I felt very fortunate to be in that position, and, and I've had, had a lot of fun with it. When you were growing up, and you were born in the mid-'70s, and your dad had pretty much retired by then, correct, from racing? And he was... Yes. Okay. Yeah. Did your yeah. dad... How much influence did your dad have actually on you from the standpoint, son, I'm taking you around, and I'm going to teach you how to drive a race car? Tell us, tell us that, about that. You know, he, he never uh, actually really wanted me to be a racing driver i think he had moved on from that world and um you know he sort of came from an era where the racing was very dangerous and just about everyone he'd gotten to know a good a good amount of them had, had died behind the wheel of a race car and i think that sort of left a, a an impression on him i mean as much as he loved the racing it it, it was almost like a, a war vet who just didn't want to revisit a lot of those those memories and so you know um i i lived i i sort of gained a lot of that knowledge through osmosis i'd say because he was so into the antique cars and we did a lot of touring as a kid in fact the first time i ever drove legally was on an antique packard tour in a 1915 packard so i feel like i learned the grassroots basics from somebody who is an absolute master at shifting gears that had no synchro mesh so you know you really had to learn how how to use the gearbox in its rawest form and how to, to, to double clutch downshift and match the speed of the engine to the the speed of the gears and so you know it was a wonderful education that i could carry forward with me and then racing you know is just something you, you have to sort of learn on your own it's a matter of confidence really and having a reasonable degree of mechanical understanding as you're learning, you know, as you're moving along. But um, I think just knowing that uh, that it was sort of in the genes and, and being excited to do it, it just sort of came naturally to me. And, of course, he supported me 100% once I started getting into the racing. Now, you mentioned, now we all know that your dad was probably one of the greatest American racing drivers ever. But we also, I don't know how many people know this, but your dad was also a very good mechanic. So do you think, and, then, and my two questions, okay, obviously the the fact that he had this mechanical background gave him the ability to have a little bit more respect and understanding of how to treat the car and make the car last. And then the second part of the question is, is do you do that as well? And are you mechanical and do you have the same like uh, mindset? 
Uh, to a certain degree. I think I think I learned a lot um, from him, from the mechanic mechanical side of things. He was always working on a project out in a garage at the house or down at his restoration shop. But yeah, my father was was a car guy's car guy through and through. I mean, he he started out like you said, a mechanic, um, and he was. He, I, I'd, I'd safely say my father was a genius. You know, he he called it sort of a lopsided uh, intellect where it was like all he could think about, all he could immerse himself in was the mechanical nature of cars. And he was totally obsessed with it and loved everything about about the ones that he had an interest in. So I think that's naturally what led him to racing for, for a company like Ferrari because they were just building very high-quality cars in, the, in their early days, the sports car days. And so, you know... I definitely took a, a more of a degree of mechanical sympathy with me into my racing. But then again, modern day race cars, you can really beat them up. They kind of build them that so any, anybody can get in there um, and just, you know, abuse the thing and uh, make it through a race, make it through a sprint race. And nowadays, you know, with uh, the way the cars sort of shift themselves and they don't let you, over rev and, and all you go down the list. There's all these things that kind of dumb them down for all the things drivers try and do to break them. So, <laughs> you know, it didn't, didn't take quite the degree of mechanical knowledge and sympathy that did in my dad's day, but that was in large part, uh, you know, his successes came so much from his understanding of the mechanical workings of the car. Well, yes, something else is interesting, too, is your dad actually went to the university, I'm not sure, somewhere in California, I believe, someplace, right? And he got a degree in business, but his passion was with automobiles was so strong that that's the direction he actually went, and he never really, but his business background enabled him to be very successful in the restoration business. Is that, is that kind of along the lines? Is that fair? That, fair that, that, that's, that's partially true, and, and, and uh, I'll say that he, he did go, the intention was, to go to UCS, USC, you know, University of Southern California. His aunt wanted him to get a business degree uh, and help out with her because she she came from from some money and she was not very sophisticated. She wanted her her nephew to help her out. She had no kids of her own, and so what he did was he went for about a year and and immediately got carried away with with racing with midgets. Started working for a midget team where every night of the week, you know, midget racing was really big back in the uh, late 40s. So he was off to the Rose Bowl one night and Carpinteria the next night and just doing a big circuit. Pretty soon that took over from, from any sort of academic. So he didn't really get a college education, to be fair. Okay. And the other thing I didn't know, I was reading up on your dad a little bit, He's you, he was born in Miami? He was born in Miami, yeah, in uh, 1927. Wow. And uh, I think it was a year they had a big hurricane. And actually during uh, the pregnancy of his mother, um, big hurricane hit, and they just wanted to get out of there. So they moved to New York City for a year, and then they made their way out to California in 1929 when he was two years old. Wow. Interesting, interesting. See, another legend from Florida. You know, we have uh, Don Garlitz, we have uh, the Justice Brothers, you know, they're from Florida. So there's a lot of uh, uh, old-school car guys, you know. And, of course, you know, the beaches of uh, the sands and the beaches of uh, Ormond Beach is where some of the original um, land speed cars raced. A lot of people don't know that, too. That's kind of, you know, and ultimately Daytona and everything like that. Derek, oh, yeah, in fact, yep. Go ahead, no, no, go ahead, finish. Uh, I was, I was going to say that, you know, when we went down to Florida, uh, for the races, I often traveled with my father when I started racing, and we'd race at Sebring quite a bit, and Moroso Park was one of my first races, and um, he he always loved going down to Florida. I think it was for him going, you know, home to his roots a little bit, and we, we'd drive all over the place, and he'd show me where the family home was, and, and I think he always had a real uh, soft spot for Florida, and we all, we, I really enjoyed those trips we had down there. So, all right, and, and all right, we'll talk about Sebring and PBI, which is Moroso, Palm Beach International Raceway, and Daytona. Do you get a chance to come down here and vintage race at all? Um, I haven't actually. No, no, no. I did a lot of the uh, a lot of the modern day stuff and, and did Sebring and all that, but 
um, oddly enough, haven't gotten down there for vintage yet. Okay, well, check out HSR because they have two really cool races coming up. They do the 24-hour classic, okay, which is kind of like what they do in Europe, and that's at Daytona, and then they do a 12-hour classic, which is actually Sebring. I think you'd find that very, very interesting because those are the tracks that your dad pretty much dominated back in the day. Oh, yeah. I would absolutely love that. I, I know very well about the, those races, and I think that 24-hour classic at Daytona just sounds like it's been a really big hit. It has. The fans and the drivers, all of them. Yeah, cars and people Great. and drivers from all over the world show for the 24-hour classic, so that's a, that's an incredible venue. Gary, tell us a little bit more about what you have uh, in store. So where's your where are you planning on going? What's some of the th- th- future plans? Oh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the, the book, uh, your, about your dad. Now, you've been working on that for a number of years. Is there a lot of text in that, or is it more photographs, or is it kind of a balance? It's a balance, it's, although it's primarily photographs. It's a big coffee table, uh, two-volume book, and then we've added a third volume, which is a um, biography on my father. And um, it's, been, it's been such a long work in progress because the nature of it was to dig about a 1,000 uh, 35-millimeter transparencies out of the closet. And while my, my dad was still around, before 2008, uh, a friend of ours, a guy named Steve Dawson, uh, came by every Monday and spent a few hours with my dad going through each slide, getting the stories, uh, really getting it all down in detail. And just it's just been one of those sort of labor of love projects for all of us. And Doug Nye, who's a famous book motorsports book author and historian out of England, has uh, published it and also authored it. And it's, uh, it's gorgeous. I just saw the first printed copies myself over the Pebble Beach weekend. Um, they're, they're being printed now and, and I guess I could plug it if I may. Sure. It's absolutely. Phil Hill book. Yeah. So there it's at philhillbook.com and, um, it's, it's exciting for us. It's uh, just been, I think it really just sums up my dad's whole life and, and career and legacy very nicely. Cause he was actually a pretty darn good photographer and he shot in color Kodachrome, which for people who know about film know how well the colors. Uh, have held up with those and and the nice thing was he kept those slides in the closet for all those years out of the light so the images are just stunning and um and they just essentially were snapshots for him to show the folks back home what he was doing in the uh early 50s through the early 60s and uh so it's been a lot of fun that's 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 amazing. I'm looking forward to seeing the book. I didn't know the book was out until you had mentioned it earlier. So uh, all the best with it, and uh, that's good. So what else are some of the other projects that you're working on now? Let's you're, you've been with Pebble Beach, Pebble Beach, that that organization now for what a couple of years. You've been MC there for a while now. Yeah, I'm, I did my fourth year of MCing. Okay, uh, I took over from Ed Herman, who who had fallen ill about four years ago, and, and we co-MC'd the first year. Um, uh, sadly he passed away that winter and, but it was wonderful for me to kind of learn from him a little bit and, and, and then take that role on myself. And so, you know, having been a judge there for, for four years and an entrance and just growing up, going to that show, uh, I, I just absolutely love it. And I feel with the, the emceeing, it's kind of one of the best seats in the house. So I, I, I've been really enjoying that role. That's super. That's super. Have you been invited to uh, host or MC any other uh, Concord events or anything? Well, I've been invited as an honorary judge to some events. Uh, this year I went to the Villa Deste show over in Italy, which was just fantastic. Uh-huh. Um, I do get invitations. I can't say yes to all of them because I just got married and have an eight-month-old boy now, and, and I'm just uh, I'm trying to enjoy you know being around with him. And the, the advice I get from so many dads is, they, re, you know, since they regret not spending a lot of time with their their children when they were younger, to, to really try and make it yes. to do that. So I'm I'm having fun fun seeing my boy grow up, but of course, uh, going to car shows, car events, and and really just trying to make a good balance out of it all. Well, that's super. But I'll tell you what, uh, for me. Definitely, because I did that when my son was born. That was my total life and everything like that. And then the cool thing is when they get a little bit to the point where they're kind of a toddler, you take them to all the events with you and, you know, see how they do. They either gravitate to it or they don't, you know. But uh, nonetheless, you're there and you've got this bonding thing going on and you're raising your child, you're spending time, you're sharing your experiences with them and uh, all the best to you there in, uh, in fatherhood. 
That's great. I guess, uh, you know, not that you want to brainwash your, your, your child too young to be a car guy, but I guess that's not such a bad thing, right? No. Well, if you're like me and like what I did and what my parents did, not that my dad was a car guy, but my very first toy was a car. My son's very first toy was a car. Even though he likes cars, he's not obsessed with it. And uh, so, as a matter of fact, he's uh, going to school at the University of Central Florida right now, and his major is uh, stage management and uh, technical theater. So he's going in a completely different direction. And uh, But he still likes cars. He's a hobbyist. He drives the vintage cars with me. He goes to the events all the time. And uh, so that he's he, he's got a we, – we found a balance. And, you know, and that will probably work for you as well. Or he may be the next great Phil Hill. Yeah, that's great. What's I his name? It. What's his name? Uh, well, we named him Philip Hudson. And okay. We call him, uh, yeah, we call him Hudson by his middle name. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll just see where that goes. Okay. Yeah. Do you do you yeah. collect any cars? Do you have any cars in your collection? I know your dad was an avid car collector. So how about you? Did you kind of like? Did he pass that on to you a little bit? Well, he he, he passed on some cars. Fortunately, uh, we kept uh, three of them, which are an old 1931 Pierce which has been in the family since new. Wow. A 1925 locomobile, which is a great touring car, and a 1918 uh, Packard Town Park, which was also his aunt's new. Uh, so that, that's almost a hundred-year-old car that was in the family since new. And so, I, I have uh, actually decided to take a more sensible route right now, um, and, and put money, you know, into things like property, because one day I do want to be. Uh, you know, have the freedom to collect the cars that I really love. Okay. But there's a big price tag on those cars, so I need to uh, I need to make the money first. Right. Well, now I got about a minute left, so give me your thoughts on the unbelievable numbers that some of these cars have brought over the week. I mean, fourteen million dollar Ferrari, fourteen million dollars on the Porsche nine seventeen. I mean, it's oh, yeah. it's it's, oh, it's I unbelievable. Think- I think it's great. You know, it shows that the market is still strong in, in that area. And uh, I think more and more people are, are coming out, uh, you know, with money and discovering the, the collecting hobby. And, and that's what drives it. You know, it can't just be the same people trading cars around. And uh, I think it showed this year that, that the market is healthy and the interest is still very strong. Uh, that's uh, that sounds uh, like a that sounds like a wrap right there. That sounds very good. All right, I'll, I'll tell you what, Derek. Thank you very much for taking some time out and hanging out with us. Uh, if people want to find out more about you, do you have a website or anything like that you want to share with anybody or Facebook, Twitter? Sure. Well, I'm on uh, I'm on Instagram at Derek Hill 28, all one word. But uh, for sure, the book is PhilHillBook.com, all one word. And uh, you know, go check it out. It's it's. Uh, a great testament to that era of racing. Super. All right, Derek, thank you very much. Good luck in fatherhood. Good luck in racing. Good luck in everything. We'll see you at Pebble Beach next year or maybe in a million. You never know. I want to thank my special guest, Derek Hill, for coming on the radio show. I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in tonight. To Nostalgic Green Cars, tell your friends. Every Tuesday night on the Tantalk Radio Network between 7 and 8 p.m. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com. Nostalgic Green Cars. Don't forget to check out FloridaCarshows.com. And we will see you at some of the upcoming car shows in the fall here. Stay tuned, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. In your arms, country in your arms.